Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Saturday show. Hope you guys are doing well on this Saturday morning up and down the Wasatch front. Um, and our good friend Clint weighs in. He sent this uh, tweet right as we were la- in the last segment. You're way late to break. I said, uh, calm down over there. I blame Bodkin KSL Sports. So It kind of was my fault. It's like, all right, no. You know. <laughs> it's okay. It was my fault. Well, here, here's the thing. Like The nice part about sports talk radio is it, it, the debate. That's yeah. the thing about this. Like the whole embrace debate thing. Okay, that's just a stupid slogan, but it's, it's kind of what the it's... point of this is. So Exactly. All right. Uh, we got a lot of things to still cover, but I, I want to take a minute here because Utah is going to begin a spring ball on Tuesday. I was down at BYU yesterday. They actually got outside on their uh, turf field outside yesterday for the first time all spring. They finished uh, their second week, uh, six practices of spring ball. But, uh, Michelle, there's – Obviously, a ton of storylines around Utah, and obviously you as the Utah insider here at KSL Sports and KSLSports.com. What is uh, one or two of the chief storylines you're going to be monitoring this spring? That is not the Cam Rising conversation. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did do an article with five story mm-hmm. five storylines. Obviously, the Cam Rising one is one. I sure. And I do think that's very interesting. I think Utah's in a very unique position to kind of address the future without having to fully go to the future. Okay, okay, that's actually okay. I'm okay with that storyline. So go with that one for a minute. Okay, so explain that. Yeah, so I mean, my whole point is, you know, Cam is going to be out for a while, right? So this really gives Utah an opportunity to explore what they have behind him that will still be here after he's done Correct. after this year, yeah. and really work on it, really get them up to speed. And, and just kind of have them maybe a little more ready to go next year when, like, there isn't the safety blanket of Cam Rising here, assuming that nothing goes wrong mm-hmm. with his recovery. That's a very unique position to be in, to to say, we have a starter, we can't use our starter for a while, we're confident in him coming back, but in the meantime, we can sit here and really work on 
what the future is going to look like and maybe have a really solid backup. Now, who are, for those of the uninitiated, who are those quarterbacks? Yeah, so we have... um, of course, of course, the pig farmer. Of course, yes, Bryson Barnes. Yeah. Uh, we also have Nate Johnson, who came in as a freshman last year. Brandon Rose, who also came in as mm-hmm. a freshman last year. So they're sophomores this year. Uh, Nate Johnson got the bump up uh, when Jaquindon Jackson got moved over to running back. So Nate's gone a little more work. The little bits that I've heard is once Brandon Rose got the nod as the scout team guy, he Mm -hmm. started showing some stuff and was impressive. So it's going to be interesting to see, especially I think those two guys get more reps. And then you have incoming freshmen this year, Matt Coward, the kid out of Mississippi, um, that has a lot of potential as well. So, I mean, he should be able to get some extra work. And I believe those are going to be the four main guys unless they show in spring that they just are not up to snuff and then Utah's maybe going to think about a transfer quarterback if they don't see the kind of progress that they want to from those guys I would be shocked if they don't um but but I think that's the the only way that they maybe go shopping in the transfer portal for a quarterback okay uh I want to get back to the rising storyline here in a moment but what else we got uh, I think another big storyline, you know, who replaces Clark Phillips? Well, that's I was getting. I, that's one I was hoping you would address. What are they going to do there? Because JT Broughton is back for another year, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw. I know he's not a safety, uh, not a cornerback. He's a safety. Clayton Isbell announced he's going into the transfer he's portal, transferring, which thins out the safety group. Yeah. So what's the back end? I guess overall, what, what, what are we looking at? Because Clark obviously led that unit, but the back end of Utah's defense, what what do they got? Uh, I mean, so as far as like cornerbacks, I I think they're in really great shape. I mean, they have guys in Zamaya Vaughn and Fabian Marks that have played a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think either one of them probably can step up and step into that role. Uh, I mean, obviously, like Clark is special. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so to assume that either of them are going to be exactly like Clark isn't fair, but I think they bring their own flavor and their own specialness that could really develop into something awesome back there. Uh, you know, and then you have guys like Kane Savage and Kenzel Lawler that have been in the program for a little while. They haven't exactly made strides yet, but they're kind of maybe reaching that age, that point where they could start making a little more noise than they have in the past. And then, you know, uh, you have young guys that that will be coming in. C.J. Blocker, Snowden Smith, um, transfer Miles Battle. Smith Snowden. Oh yes, Smith Snowden. <laughs> so sorry, kiddo. Okay. Um, yes, I. Uh, yeah, and then of course the Mississippi State transfer in Miles Battle mm-hmm. is a guy that I think people are very intrigued with because um, he brings size. Well, he's big. He's yeah. big. <laughs> uh, and so, I, like, I think they have talent to work with, and I wouldn't be shocked either if they don't start trying to rotate guys out more just to keep fresh legs because they do have a lot of returning experience that kind of got put through the fire in 2021 because of injuries. Uh, and, and so you just have more talent that's usable, understands, and knows what, it, what it's like to play in big games. Okay, so obviously... My my rule of thumb is I don't 
necessarily worry about Utah's defense by and large. Uh, yeah. Just under what They'll Kyle and, and and Morgan Scally have done, they've got a track record. They, they just said they figure it out. Mm-hmm. They kind of just piece it together. But there are a bunch of names there that I'm actually I'm like yeah, I know that guy. I know that guy too. Like, I'm just like okay, that there's a pretty good. And so I assume someone's going to be able to do something. Yeah. Someone's going to be able to do something. I like. I, I'm not terribly worried about it, but it's just going to be intriguing to see what they choose to do with the options they have. Okay, so related to that, obviously, uh, a defensive back's best friend is a good pass rush, and that's one of the storylines I wanted to ask you about. Is along the defensive line last year to me felt like a little bit. I don't want to say a drop off. But it was not their most stellar year along the defensive front. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. I, I absolutely get that. I believe that was storyline number five for me. There you go. Uh, you know, seeing continued progress on the defensive line. Okay. Uh, and it was one of those things, especially the beginning of the year. They they kind mm-hmm. of calmed down. They got it together. They started looking a lot more like what we're used to a sure. Utah defensive line looking like towards mm-hmm. the end of the season. Uh but that beginning of the year was really rough. They got pushed around a lot. They got bullied a lot. They weren't getting pressure. They weren't getting sacks. And then all of a sudden, about the last half of the season, they started rising. Yeah. And, and they ended up finishing first in the Pac-12 again, I believe. It was either first or second. So top top end of the Pac-12. Sure. And they definitely did not look like that at the beginning of the season. So they covered a lot of ground and made a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. I want to see them continue making that progress. I don't want to see the slow start this year. I think I think last year, and I, I will readily admit, I think I was a little bit guilty of this. I thought that they would just be further along. And I think truth be told, still a little on the young side, probably still need to put some weight on in certain places. And unfairly, I just expected that they would be further along than they were. I feel like this year there's no excuses. Most of these guys have been doing this for about two seasons now. Like, it, it's time to put it all together. Yeah. And if you can't put it together, then, you know, there's going to have to be some uncomfortable conversations there. But, uh, I mean, you're bringing guys back like uh, Junior Tafuna, uh, Samote Peppa, uh, Jonah Ellis, Van Fillinger, um, you know, these are all outside, inside guys, uh, but they have a lot of playing experience. And, and I just, I expect it to be a much better, smoother product this year. But I think a lot of that starts in spring and just kind of really setting the tone for when it comes time to kick off against Florida. Uh, and I would agree with that. Now, you talk about slow starts and you absolutely have to avoid that this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to open on a Thursday. We officially learned that this week, by the way. Yeah, it's I know. A, right? It's a Thursday open. I know. Among of all the other storylines in sports this week, uh, Utah, Florida is going to be a Thursday. I'm. Uh, that's going to give uh, Utah an opportunity to get a pretty good sized win out of the gate if they can manage it. But they also have Baylor the following week. So you you can't have a slow start this yeah, year. Yeah, you you have to be ready to go. Like I'm. I, Pardon me using this analogy, but it just it works. BYU traditionally has always in their independent era has always had a very fast start and slow end of the season. Mm-hmm. Whereas Utah was usually a slow start, and I'm talking schedule wise, yeah. opponents. 
it was a kind of a slow, yeah, okay, start, but it finished with a flourish with some mm-hmm. of the bigger names in the Pac-12. BYU was the complete opposite. They'd start really fast out of the gates, and you get into November, and you're like, who are they playing this week? And <laughs> it's just what it is. This is more of a BYU-type open to the schedule for Utah, and it's the first time they've really done it. Back-to-back Power 5 opponents. Mm-hmm. One of them, you're going to Waco. You have to go down to, to Texas. And the heat that time of year in September, trust me, I've been in it. It's no fun. So looking forward I to know. this again. Waco, yay. But you, you've you got to avoid a slow start because you, yeah. you start 0-2, and it can take a ton of the wind out of your cells. Oh, 1,000%. And, and, I mean, a lot of this could have to do with, you know, is Cam Rising ready to go? How well did you develop the guy behind him to be mm-hmm. prepared enough to handle the moment? It just, again, defensive line, you're you're going against some big talent. Like, yeah. you can't just assume you're going to walk in and push these guys around without getting some pushback. You got to be ready to go. Okay, so there's a conversation that so David James had this with Scott Mitchell. We had Scott on on Thursday with with DJ with PK out, and they were talking about spring ball and all the different storylines. And it came to the Cam Rising one. I wanted to finish this segment with you on Cam Rising, and I, this is this is my concern, and I want to get your take on this because DJ brought this up, and Scott actually took it even further than DJ took it, which actually kind of surprised me. It's going to be eight months and change between Cam Rising having had that ACL reconstruction surgery or mm-hmm. repair, I guess what I should say, and the start of the season. That is a fairly, and ag- DJ termed it an aggressive timeline. Right. It is. And Scott Mitchell, and I, I was I was actually surprised, he said, but Scott's like, I think it's way too aggressive, essentially. He said, this they need to slow play this and make sure that he is good to go and make sure that he is ready when it's, once he takes the field, Scott essentially said, it, he said, I would, uh, he didn't say this out now, if I recall correctly, but I took the the feeling from it that Scott would be okay if Cam Rising missed the non-conference, the first three weeks. You miss Florida, Waco, and uh, Baylor, and then who do they play? Who's the third opponent? It was is it Weber State? Weber, yeah. Weber's coming in. He I, it felt like to me he's okay if Cam misses those three games. It gives him a little extra time, maybe an extra month or so, roughly, to have himself ready. Where do you stand on that? Because I do think eight months is an aggressive timeline. And the, the cautionary tell that I would have is all you got to do is look up at Logan. Right. With Logan Bonner. Right. He had ACL, re- it, was, it was a repair. He was nine-ish months, I think, once, that, once he got on the field. And he did not look right. What's your concern? I mean, it's a valid point, and And it's one of those things I do trust. I don't think Utah purposely pushes people out before they're ready. No. I I don't think they are saying that they feel like Cam will be ready without having good reason to say so. Okay. However, if it comes to pass that, you know, something goes wrong, there's a setback, or he just gets out there and he doesn't feel comfortable, and it feels weird saying that because Cam is so tough, and I, I don't doubt for a second that he can will himself, empower himself. Sure. Um, to to handle that situation, to handle that moment, uh, but why do it if you don't have to? Why I it, yeah. why 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 do that if you don't have to? And so it's it's one of those things. Yeah, like if if you see reason or sign that that timeline is no bueno, 
for everybody involved, mm-hmm. don't push it. Like, I, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to you guys. It's not worth it to him. And again, I like, I would be shocked if they did. I would be shocked if they did. Like that. That's just not how they've operated in the past. Sure. Uh, but I, I, I have talked to a couple of different people about ACL surgeries. Um, I, Utah women's basketball with Paige McFarland. She is just starting to feel right a year later after her ACL surgery, and they're every, into they're into postseason again. And every person's different, by the way. Every person is different. We've seen, if I recall, there was a guy in the in the NFL. I'm trying to think who it was. It was a running back. It might, I think it was six months, and he was back. Yeah, yeah. And that's like that that's, is super freaky. That's quick. The, that's the most aggressive. And the other thing about this is, I don't know if we any, if if you have any intel on this. Was it just the ACL? My understanding is it was just the ACL. Okay. And that's actually going to help help because you have to be concerned about other ligaments, meniscus. There are there's other damage, right. nerve damage that can happen in that knee that can lengthen out the process. So, yeah, anyways. It, it sounded like it was pretty clean from what I okay. gathered, but I I mean I sure. don't think they've given a lot of details on that. <laughs> You're not looking at the medical file, am I? Well, there was this. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, and I uh, just recently talked with uh, someone on the ski team mm-hmm. about an ACL and okay. and just that process. So I mean, uh, and both have kind of talked about it's it's the mental part more than even just the rehab part. The rehab part's mm-hmm. fine. It's sure. the getting mentally okay with being back out there, knowing that when you go to plant on that leg, it's going to be fine. Try to make a cut that it's not going to give way like it did. And Every athlete who has been through that can tell you that exact thing. The, the doctors will tell you you're you're cleared. You are 100 percent medically. You get back out there. But there is hurdles in our psyche, in our brains, as athletes, and I'm, I'm including myself in this. I never had an, a knee injury, but I've talked with enough of them that there is a psyche. There's a you have to be on. You're you got to get past the fact that like okay, I got to go out there and I got to make that cut. When you make that first cut and it doesn't give way, and you're like. In some ways, it's almost like it's like Hot we're damn. good. We're good. This is great, <laughs> but it's getting to that point. Yeah. So, I for me, it's just you know I hope everybody is just mindful through the process mm-hmm. and and monitors it as it needs to be monitored. Uh, it, it, it's the storyline that's gonna it's gonna, it's gonna carry over the everything else. That's the single storyline, yeah. and that's why I was like, I wanted you to get some of the other ones out of the way because I didn't want that to dominate the entire <laughs> thing. Because truly, it can dominate everything else. Oh, yeah. So, interesting stuff. Tuesday, first day, correct? Yes. All right. We'll be, of course, keeping our eye on kslsports.com. Uh, Mitch Harper's doing great stuff on the BYU side. Me and him were out at uh, practice yesterday watching BYU, so some fun stuff. Uh, we may get some of those notes in there. I've got a couple of things on that. Not as much on that side, but we'll get to some of that as we continue on right here on the Saturday show. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It's a great song right here. A little slower, but good stuff. All right. Welcome back to the Saturday show. Michelle Bodkin, Jay Catch, along for the ride here. And uh, Michelle, uh, we typically in this segment do what we call five minutes of. So I, I want to kind of uh, talk about a couple of things. Uh, I mentioned the fact we talked Utah football and getting ready for spring ball. Obviously, there's all kinds of storylines on that front. BYU is now two weeks in uh, to their spring ball. And a lot of their storylines going in were... Uh, Obviously, the quarterback situation is Keaton Slovis looking the part. Uh, in the short, uh, what do you call it? The the spurts, I guess I'd call it, that we, we've been able to see as a media core. Uh, Slovis has shown that he understands what BYU is trying to do. Obviously, looking good in practice versus looking good in games are two different things. Uh, I could I could name about... 10 different, at least 10 in my short time uh, covering college football of guys that were uh, what I like to call practice all-stars. Right. Like, look just absolutely phenomenal on the practice field. All of a sudden, they get in the game, and it was like, who's that? Because that's not what I... Like, what happened? Exactly. <laughs> so, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how he makes uh, the transition. Obviously, now this is his third college football program. The other thing about BYU is, I've got to say, Jay Hill is just energy personified. Hmm. Holy smokes, y'all. I, I I knew his reputation. I, he'd done really, really good things at Weber State. Right. Was very highly thought of at Utah. But, oh my goodness. He is, like, the energy level. He is just everywhere and anywhere at all times. Uh, I was talking with, who was I talking with? Somebody down there at BYU. And they brought up the point that uh, he is just... He's lifting with the team. He's in the weight room, like tapping guys on the show. He's engaged in every aspect of this program. His official title is defensive coordinator and associate head coach. And Michelle, I got to tell you, he is just, he is as engaged with BYU as I've seen anybody in many, many years. Well, I think, I, I think he needs to be. And I'll say this, it's BYU's had a very critical conjecture where they don't necessarily have all the horses they need, sure, but they need buy-in. The best way you can get guys to buy in and work 10,000 times harder is if you show that you're willing to work 10,000 times harder. And I think that's exactly what Jay's doing. And that's how you endear guys to go a little above and beyond mm-hmm. their punching weight. Well, and and that, exactly. I th- You nailed it. Because you're right. They are going into the Big 12 here. And... <laughs> I look at what BYU is going up against, and I do think that they have they've tried to prepare themselves as much as possible, like investment wise. Like they're investing, I I I could lay out everything they've invested in, and I wouldn't even I get all of it in terms of the overall investment from the athletic department and football and the other sports. BYU is spending more money than they ever have. Mm-hmm. Just suffice it to say that. But you're right. 
in the football side of things, that's what drives everything. And I loved uh, <laughs> this is going back to that conversation we had at the end of the uh, ten o'clock hour about the Pac twelve versus Big Twelve debate. Robert C. Robbins was very upfront about. He's like, hey. Yeah, I want Arizona basketball in the Big 12. It'd be phenomenal to have that. But football drives this thing. Yeah. Football is driving the boat. And that, so getting back to BYU here, you're right. Buy-in can do a lot to help build BYU up to what they aspire to be. And I've just got to say, I am super impressed with Jay Hill. Just because he easily could have come in and said, I'm the defensive coordinator. I'm caring about my guys over here. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the defense playing their thing. He is just as engaged with his defensive players, and he coaches the safeties. He he is just as engaged with any one of his safeties, Malik Moore, on down that list of the safeties there, as he is with a running back or a third-string wide receiver. It's really, really fun to see, and it's really, in many ways, re-energized this program. And they and you're right, they absolutely needed it going into the Big 12. Yeah, uh, that that's one of the ways that you kind of cover up some deficiencies until you can actually address them. Uh, and, and I mean, just look at Utah and how their coaches operate. How many offensive guys have said they hang out with Morgan Scally yeah. or Sharif Shah or so there's cross interest everywhere. I know a lot of the defensive players love Quinton, uh, Quinton Qu- Ganther, Quinton Ganther. Yeah. like it's important to have that cross, I think, and, and have mm-hmm. All of the coaches invested in everything that is going on and not just their group. That's how you build camaraderie. That's how you get everybody on the same page. That's how you get everybody working towards a common goal. Mm-hmm. And it has to start with the coaching staff. And you're right, because they, they set the tone for the culture. They can talk all the time about having player run, uh, a player-run program. But the coaches set the tone. If they don't see it modeled, why, why, would, the players, why would the players run it? Well, and the other thing is that these are impressionable young men, 18, 19, 20 years old. Like they're, they, they need good examples of what leadership is that they can emulate. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to come off as saying that the, the previous defensive staff at BYU was bad because they weren't. They had a lot of good experience. Ed Lamb had done incredible things at Southern Utah. And by the way, I expect him to make Northern Colorado actually a viable Big Sky program. He's proven that he can do that. The problem was is that it had gotten stale. Yeah, and that sometimes happens. That sometimes mm. happens. I mean, I you look at maybe you know someone like Guy Holiday, very great coach. Yeah, love Guy Holiday. Mm-hmm. But sometimes your time just kind of runs out someplace, yeah. and and you're no longer making the progress that you need to be making, and that sucks. You you hate letting people <laughs> like that go because he's a good guy. Uh, and he he's done a lot of great things for you, mm-hmm. but you know there there has to be a balance of pushing things forward, moving things forward, and still being a really great guy. Well, and some of the genius of Kyle Whittingham in particular, some of the Kalani Satake I think is trying to emulate, is that Kyle has never let it truly get stale. Mm-hmm. Think about it; his his run is legendary, especially in this day and age of college football. Right. There's a reason why he is so like beloved by the national media, because he's had an incredible run. He has never let it; he's never let it just kind of die on the vine. Kyle's getting towards the end. We all know this. It, yeah. It's the open secret that if you think that he's going to stick around for ten more years, I would tell you to reevaluate. Yeah, that that would be pushing it. <laughs> yeah, but to his credit. He's been at Utah for so long, and it so easily could have been, I, this is how we do things at Utah. Mm-hmm. 
and it can get old. It just it 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 when you do the same thing over and over again, eventually the the lessons are like okay, okay we we got it, coach. Yeah. To Kyle's credit, he has reinvented himself so many times, and that's the mark of a really good coach. And I got to give Kalani Satake credit. I've seen Kalani. I've covered him from day one of him showing up in Provo to today. To Kalani's credit, he has tried to. He, he's learned some hard lessons along the way. Kyle did too. You have to. It's the only way you get better. But to their credit, is they have they have tried to keep things relevant and make changes when necessary. Do I think that Kalani has? taken longer than a guy like Kyle Whittingham might have on certain things? Yes, I do. But I also think that there are machinations inside the Utah athletic department, Utah football program, that are different than how BYU and the BYU football program operates that may have led to some of those things. The the nice part is I think fans here locally just understand that both of these head coaches and these coaching staffs, there's total buy-in. Mm-hmm. They, they, these two, Kalani and Kyle, have surrounded themselves by guys that they're not just yes men. They're not just these guys' homies that they hired to take a role. They're guys who are going to go out there, and they're hell-bent on proving themselves. It, it, and so much of that's because bonus. <laughs> they, like, they don't have to be homies, but they are homies. Yes. They, they've yeah. all worked they, together. Yeah. They all have worked together. They all they have relationships, yeah. understand uh-huh. what it takes because they've all kind of come from the same place. <laughs> come on. You can trace all the way back to Lavelle Edwards. You, you can. It came off the branch to Kyle Whittingham or Fred Whittingham to Kyle Whittingham and it's branched out from there and now it's it's at both programs. Anyways, Splash some Ron McBride in there. <laughs> sure, yeah, it's but, just... It's, yeah. Yeah, there there is a very, very linear path to how all of this has kind of shaken out and come to be at both programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I think there's a reason why it works. Yeah. Well, I think I there's a reason why it works. And so that so I guess if you're if you're a BYU fan looking for something, just understand that Jay Hill, he has come in and it's just it, there's there, it's re energized the entire program. He easily, like I said, he easily could have come in and said, "All right, uh, I'm stepping down from being a head coach. I'm just going to focus on my defense over here." He he's he's literally taken the defensive. And by the way, the defensive thing is one thing, but he's taken also that title of associate head coach and understood, you know what? I've got to be in all facets of this. I got to be engaged, and I, I'm excited. I think that alone, you're right. It could cover up some of the deficiencies because BYU does have deficiencies. That's readily apparent if you look at that roster, but. It, this first year in the Big Twelve, I think just the the, the vibes. I, that's that's a real mm-hmm. that's a real invoke. The vibes could be really really different for BYU, even if they're actually record wise worse than they have been in the last three or four years. And one other point I yeah. want to make is credit to Kalani for not being threatened by Jay Hill sure, being yeah. involved. That also takes a big person. Yeah, head coaches sometimes have a lot of ego and. Their thing is their thing, and you uh-huh. all better step off and just do what I tell you to. Yeah. And, and to Kalani's credit, to allow Jay to come in mm-hmm. and be such a big part of, and, and again, not get the hackles up and, ooh, you're kind of stepping on my turf, and ooh, I, I don't want guys thinking that you're the one in charge because I'm the one in charge. Sure. And, it, it takes a really big person, and I think that was something that Kyle had to actually learn is to actually let go of stuff and let other people handle it. So yeah, delegate. Yes, there is there is wisdom in that, and there is wisdom in the, that. And, uh, 
Yeah. Anyways, it's just it's very it's 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 interesting to watch BYU how they're operating right now, at least in spring ball. And could it be a facade? Sure. But anything can be a facade out there. You'll find out really quickly when the bullets start flying. Exactly. If if the attitude immediately <laughs> changes, yeah, it was like then, okay, yeah, it was all a dog and pony show, and exactly. But it, but if they can keep with that, even when things get hard, and things will get hard. Mm-hmm. Sorry, oh, I, they'll, I, they'll they'll get hard. I don't think BYU fans are any, under any illusion that they're going to waltz into the Big Twelve here and run that conference. Now. I don't. I don't think. The hard times will last forever, but it's going to be hard for a while. But if they can keep that same attitude, they'll eventually figure out how to turn it around. It'll be interesting. All right. uh, Well, I meant to talk to you about some other stuff here, but we'll talk about that on the other side. We'll take a break here. (laughs) Have a little extra, I guess, a longer final segment. Uh, Got a couple more things I want to touch on uh, on the RSL front. Also, with regards to just... uh, what we expect from the weekend to come in in basketball. We'll get to all that next. This is the Saturday show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Baby girl sleeping in my bedroom and her mama laughing in my arms. There's the sound of rain on the rooftop and the game's about to start. I don't really know how I got here, but I'm so glad that I did. And it's crazy to think that one. Welcome back to the Saturday show. I've... Sarah, good call on Darius Rucker today. I'm actually probably going to be bumping him driving home. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't re- like. I don't often listen to all of his music, uh-huh. but like he has some good songs. Well, he- I only listen to like the popular ones. But then after doing this, I was like, man, I need to add a few more songs to my playlist. Yeah, well, <laughs> sure. And here's the thing: I, I'm like Michelle. Growing up, country was not my thing. It just it just wasn't. It, like, I was p- punk pop, alternative, mixing some hip hop, like like Nelly that type of stuff. Okay. I was I was actually okay. Funny story. Do you remember? A story about Nelly coming to Utah and doing an outdoor concert at UVU. This is- I think you actually told me about this off air. Okay, one so time. this is goes back to 2004, and this is when Nelly's like in his heyday. Like, yeah, I'm in high school. No, I was even younger than that. I've been like 01 or 02. So I actually looked up the story. Uh, I, I pulled it up randomly. My wife asked me about it because my oh, mom, yeah. my mom, she still loves nah, that that concert. I had to call the cops. And like, Here's the thing. Growing up, that was like the wheelhouse. I was like, this is great. Because that concert, I lived to the west of Utah Valley University. It was then UVSC. Okay. I wasn't far off campus. But that concert was taking part at, taking place at Brent Brown Ballpark, okay. which is the baseball stadium. Complete opposite side of that campus. It's got to go all the way up the hill. Michelle, that concert, you could hear that clear as day at my house. And <laughs> it caused all kinds of phone calls. <laughs> But that's the thing. So country for me, it, the people got mad about that. But I, I was, I was the guy who was like, "This is great. I can listen to the concert. I have to actually pay to go to it. I get to hear all the music. Like, this, this, <laughs> this is awesome. awesome. This is great." But country for me was always like, "Yeah, no, nah, I'm out. Like, it ain't my thing." As I've gotten older, I've actually started to really come to appreciate concert, uh, country because I'm like you. Hootie and the Blowfish was my introduction to Darius Rucker yeah. from through my dad mainly, and I love Hootie and the Blowfish. 
But I got to admit, Darius Rucker was one of the first first country guys. I was like, okay, I can get with this. I, I like this a lot. I don't know. One of those weird things. You, it's fine. I just, I wouldn't choose it. But. Oh, sure. Well, well, trust me. PK, I would have never picked him for a country guy. And he is all in like Old Dominion, Kenny Chesney. Whoa. BK, he's going to see Old Dominion, I think, four or five times this year alone. You think I'm joking? I'm not joking. Okay, PK. Yeah. He's seen Kenny Chesney, I don't know how many times. Huh. Like, he'll tell you. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's one of those interesting things as to where your introduction to certain genres, and even not just music, but like how things get introduced into your life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We were just talking, we were talking about ramen in the break, like. I loved like top ramen growing up. I didn't realize there were like more like I went to Taiwan on my mission. They have an entire aisle dedicated to different types of ramen noodle. Just ramen. It, wow. Every, I mean, I get that though. Every flavor of any variety you can imagine on one I I'm, I I remember the first time I'm like wow, this is cool. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah, but it's just yeah. one of those interesting things. All right. Um so before we go here, uh are you expecting Utah to take care of Princeton tomorrow, Utah, the Utah women? I, that would be my assumption. I, I'm expecting them to blow them out. And if that's the case, guess who's hopping on a plane to South Carolina? Yay! Me! All right. <laughs> where, where are they playing? It would be... Greenville. At, Greenville, okay. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah. I've never been to Greenville. Yeah. Uh, th- Thursday has the potential to be a very busy day because that's Utah's pro day. Sure. And I will do that and literally have to drive to the airport to I'll hop see, on so a plane. So you'll be flying Thursday to yeah. get down there. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll see. Everybody, root for Utah to win tomorrow because we need to send Michelle to South, South Carolina. Carolina. Go to Greenville. I don't know what this, I don't know anything in Greenville. but I know nothing about it. I looked at a map. It's close to Knoxville. It's like a three-hour drive to Knoxville. I have a cousin that lives in Knoxville. Ah, okay. And I kind of want to be like, hey, you want to drive three hours to come and see me? I don't think I don't think he would, though. <laughs> well, that's rude. It's, I mean, I get it. Like, three hours is still kind of a lot. It's, it's n- Compared to Knoxville to Salt Lake, sure. it's not. Okay. But, yeah, no. but, like, and with the, like, I, I, I'm sure it's going to be like crunch time and, and, and stuff like that, too, with my schedule. But, yeah, I, I'm like, ugh. Well, here's here's something funny. You know Furman, who we're watching right now? Oh, yeah. Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, okay. There you go. I don't know. Just, the more you know. I know. <laughs> I've just literally pulled that up. It's also got Bob Jones University. is also in Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> All right. March Madness. Not just entertaining, you're, but educational yeah, as well. You're flying into Charlotte, I would assume, right? If you go. Uh, there's oh. like a Greenville. Oh, there's airport. a Greenville. Okay, yeah. cool. Even better. All right, there you go. So, root for Utah. I, here's the thing. I expect Utah to make a run here. I, I think at worst for the Utah women, elite eight. They, they they have to get to the elite eight. And see, I was thinking Sweet Sixteen. Get to okay. get to the Sweet Sixteen. That's a step just, better than you like did last two, year. As a two seed, though. Yeah, maybe for perception's sake. I just, I still kind of worry about. I think they're a little undersized. Okay. And I think the further you go, the more that's going to start showing up. You think they could get chewed up a little bit with some of these bigger teams? I mean, they, they've proven that they can handle their own in it, but it's yeah. how how long, especially now that we're starting to get into like road game parts of it, how sure. how long are you able to kind of keep that up? And maybe they can, but like it's just one of those things for me 
trying to be like reasonable about it. <laughs> like I, I, I can foresee that perhaps being an issue. It, it's going to be interesting because this has been a phenomenal season for Lynn Roberts. And oh, Inter- amazing. And it's crazy to think about not only three years ago, were they what, five and nine? They, they, Something like that. It was not good. But it's it's a, it's an incredible transformation they've had. And so I don't know. That's just me. I just I think the elite eight is the barometer for success for me. I guess that's just I'm like it's a two seed. You obviously were seated. You have the home. The first two rounds yeah. at home. You're seated to make it to the Sweet Sixteen. And you got a Greenville, South Carolina, and we'll see where the chips fall. So all right. Well, maybe next week we'll be talking to you from South Carolina. South Carolina. All right. Potentially, we'll find out tomorrow. All right. Well, uh, we'll look forward to that. We'll, of course, keep uh, up on all your work at kslsports.com. Keep it locked here on The Zone all week long as well. We'll have full reaction to the opening weekend of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament right now. Uh, San Diego State taking it to Furman, 59-37, 10 minutes to go in that game. But full coverage of that on 1280 AM. And also, we'll be switching over here once we wrap this up. So I'll get out of the way so you guys can you know listen to March Madness. All right. <laughs> for Michelle, I'm Jake. And for Sarah, have a great rest of your day. This has been the Saturday Show right here on 97. FM, the KSL Sports Zone. See ya. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, You need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.